Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. So would you give Frank Damasio a Capital Church welcome? Thank you. I appreciate that uh, great introduction by the older bishop. He'll, he'll always be older than me by three months. It's uh, always great to be here, honestly, uh, to be with uh, Ken and Connie and Chris and family and Tracy and all the Wild Clan and uh, all the other uh, leaders that I know and some of the families. Uh, it's been a year since I was here before, I believe, about a year ago. Uh, so we're, we're friends of the family, friends of the house, and uh, friends with you. Spent all day yesterday with your leadership uh, teams. Uh, great, uh, great future in that room, uh, looking at the age and the uh, gifts and the talents present in that room. I would say there's a great future for this church. And uh, I, was, I was encouraged to be a part of that and watch that happen. Um, the uh, preaching, I've been preaching for a long time, you know, over 40 years, and pastored uh, over 40 years. And so uh, this would be a normal setting for me that I love and always uh, <clears throat> find myself in almost every weekend of the year, but always in a different church. So I'm not pastoring anymore the same church. I gave that up two years ago, so I travel and do colleges and stuff and churches and et cetera, um, and try and build whatever I can to help uh, pastors and churches and people uh, do what God has called them to do. I consider this church uh, a family, so I'm not, I'm not a visitor. I'm a part of the family, part of Ken and Connie's life forever. You know, 40 years ago, we were in staff together in Portland. Uh, you know, our children are close friends, you know. Uh, I've watched Chris uh, raise up in the kingdom of God and as a young man. And I, I just want to go down in the books to say I think uh, Chris Wilde is one of the finest young pastors in all of America. And so I just want to let you know that uh, <clears throat> I think he's, they're not just fine pastors. He's, a, he's an excellent teacher and he's an excellent thinker. It's good to uh, talk to pastors that have a brain. Uh, and so his exegesis and his approach to Scripture is, is just a blessing for me to see in a younger generation because I do preaching uh, stuff with pastors and uh, mentoring pastors with preaching. So it's one, of my, it's one of my things that I really want to see happen in this generation as we move ahead. And so I just compliment you on your discipline and your uh, ability and your gifting. And also Tracy, too, just a great preacher, inspiring preacher, wonderful woman of God. And I think it's great that you have a wild family. Don't take that for granted. Uh, it's great to see that family functioning so well in this church. A lot of churches would love to have them, but you have them. And uh, so I just want to give them a big hand this morning. Come on, for the wild family, give it up and say thank you very much, Ken and Connie. Chris, all of them. Uh, all right, I want to dip right into the Word because that clock 
is not going to stop. No matter what I do, it doesn't stop. Uh, so I'm going to um, talk with you, preach, and just impart as best I can on a subject that is, is important. Now remember, whatever happens in the church as far as the kingdom of God moving in a corporate congregation, which is a biblical aspect of Christianity at the corporate congregation, when we gather together as the body of Christ, there's something sacred and right about gathering together that can never happen alone. Alone is great, devotional and growth, absolutely, but there's something that happens in corporate that can never happen alone. We were meant to be corporate. We are meant to come together. We're meant to be the thing called the body of Christ. The church ecclesia is a drawing out. And so we're here this morning, and we're in this particular service, but you're in this particular church, whether you're here or at the downtown campus, you go 9, 11, 5, or 7, whatever service, whatever age you might be, you're in this church. This is your congregation. You gather together. And so whatever happens in the church when it comes to uh, moving of the Holy Spirit that moves the church into a higher realm of faith, that faith affects you as an individual. It affects your business, affects your job, affects your thinking, affects everything about you. When the church experiences some faith level for finances, there's a corporate grace that comes upon the church for the finance, and that corporate grace touches your finance and your faith, and you find something happening in your own bank account, your own heart, your own business. Why? Because whatever happens in the church affects the individual. And so that individual rises and falls with the ebb and flow of the church. Why it's so important to be planted in a church and to be a person that is partaking of church services and listening to preaching is something goes on in your soul. Something goes on in your will. When you listen to preaching, listen to the Word of God, even if you have uh, not a, a great devotional life, so to say, or you don't read a lot or whatever, you come to church and you get to hear Scripture and not taken away from devotion. You should, but still you could hear Scripture and, and the inspiration of the Scripture and, and the faith of the Scripture and the impartation, and, and you walk out of here a better person. Can I hear a hallelujah? So you, you walk out better because you've been involved with the corporate gathering. So it can be faith. It can be the miraculous. It can be the supernatural. It can be compassion and love or family relationships or just relationships as a whole or unresolved offenses, how to handle them. There's a, a myriad of things that you could talk about that affects you every time you come into the auditorium when you gather as a church. I'm going to talk with you about one specific area, and that area will have to do with the word vision. And the word vision has to do with what God has in mind for you, your life, your family, and everything about you and this church for the future. God is providential. He thinks ahead. God is sovereign. He plans ahead. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think because he's God. And so he's already preparing for your future and your resources and everything you need because he's the God who can make the plan and he can make the plan happen if we would just follow the God of sovereignty and the God of providence. So vision has to do with doctrine of sovereignty and providence and, and all these things and intuition and what I feel and what I'm trying to see. And everybody in this room, you would have a desire to see more, go more, go higher, go further, have your children go further, fulfill the will of God, see the vision of God. Can I hear an amen? All of us feel that. We want that. Well, there's something in the church that when the church has vision, 
it affects my vision. When the church has high vision, I go up with it. When the church has wide vision, I go wider with it. When the church has deep vision, I go deeper with it. When the church has a vision to touch people in the city and the world, I go world. I become world. It's a marvelous thing to be in a church that has vision. It's a marvelous thing to be in a church that stretches my vision so that God stretches me into the future. Now, this is what I feel for you right now, and so I'm going to have you, if you're taking notes, you can take it down, but I'm going to say something that I, I believe to be uh, a prophetic uh, feel. If you don't understand prophetic, it's just a, a feel about that which is coming or something that is more than the visible, you know, so I think that there's coming to this church a shift and I think the shift is going to shift you to a next level. And I think the next level is going to be a surprising level. You don't even uh, understand how great that level is. But there's coming a shift to Capital Church. In the year 2019, there will be a shift in your growth, a shift in your atmosphere, a shift in your miracles, a shift in the salvations, a shift in prodigals, a shift in finance. There's coming a shift to Capital Church. And I want to say it today. I predicted and prophesied with my eyes open. It's coming right now. There's coming a shift to this church right now. There's, there's a shift, and part of the shift that is coming, I'm going to call it the shift of acceleration. It's a shift of acceleration. What used to take a long time is going to suddenly happen. What used to take a lot of strategy and a lot of planning is suddenly going to be reality. What was your plan and even your strategy on adding to things about the church and the vision and, and the future and everything about that, what you were planning and the strategies you have, there's going to be a shift in the acceleration. What you're thinking is two years and five years and seven years is going to be six months and 12 months and 18 months. There's going to be a shift in the acceleration of how God is going to move in this congregation which means there's going to be a shift in your personal life about relationship and about finance and about business and about things you were hoping for. All of a sudden, they're not just a hope. They're going to become reality. The shift of God is upon this congregation right now, and we receive that in Jesus' name. You know, when Jesus did the miracle of Canaan and Galilee uh, in John chapter 2, and uh, finally, the mother got him the first miracle in the Gospels. And the mother said, please, Jesus, help. We're out of wine. The wedding, it's embarrassing. Help the people. And Jesus says, you know, my time's not come. But okay, Mom, you can ask me this, and I'll do it, you know, like mothers can do. And so Jesus then says, okay, gather the water pots, put the water in. They put the water in. He prays. They turn the water into wine. They serve the wine. And this is what the people say. Why did you save the best wine to the end of the wedding? Usually you start with the best, and as people keep drinking, they kind of get a little, you know, whatever. And so as they start getting whatever, any wine they drink tastes good because they're whatever now. And so they've been drinking for a little while, and so as they keep drinking, even the worst wine tastes good because they're kind of on that stage of drinking. And, but those people that taste it said, well, you're serving the best wine at the end of the wedding? You're, you kept the best to last? 
the best wine in Israel, to make the best wine in Israel, would be a minimum of 20 years of process to make that kind of wine that was given to the emperors and the people called the best wine. And commentaries say this is the kind of wine that Jesus turned this into was the best wine, the most expensive, the wine that only the wealthy got. And he turned that into that kind of a wine. He took a 20-year process and turned it into a 10-minute deal. We call that acceleration. We call that overriding man's calendar, overriding man's time. The promotion that you're thinking you're going to get in five years, God can override the calendar, and that promotion can come in a couple minutes. Something can happen that turns the whole thing around, and suddenly you have a promotion, and suddenly your business has all kinds of new accounts, and suddenly that man walks into your life, the right man, the good-looking man, the rich man, the man that has everything, wants to buy you everything, give you everything, do everything for you. He's Christian. He's spirit-filled. He's good-looking. He lifts weights. He's built like me. He walks into your life, and suddenly everything turns around where you're thinking, well, I'll wait a year, I'll wait three, and all of a sudden it's right there. I'm telling you right now, there's a shift coming to Capitol Church, and every person lifting, listen to my words this morning, and that shift is a shift of acceleration toward the greatest vision that you could ever imagine that's going to come upon this congregation. The best is yet to come. The best wine had not been tasted yet. Think about it. The best vision had not been tasted yet. The best prophecy fulfillment had not been tasted yet. You think you have drunk and lived for 35 years on great vision, which you have, and great faith, which you have, and great fulfillment and building, and which you have, and now you're downtown by the university, great thing, and, and so you think, well, that's been great wine, it's been a great ride. I want to tell you right now, buckle up, because the ride's not over, there's more to come, and there's going to be a shift toward that supernatural fulfillment of things that you could not do yourself, but God's going to move it in and dump it on you, and you're going to remember this word and you're going to say this year, remember, acceleration. Remember, there's a shift. Remember, this was prophesied. We know this is coming. This is a vision for our house, vision for our family, our business, and every one of us. Can everybody shout a big hallelujah? hallelujah. Making vision happen is the power of we. Now, alone we can do things, but the power of we. The power of we is what I'm speaking on this morning, the, the making vision happen, this uh, spirit of acceleration, the, the things that vision can do. Vision is a supernatural thing, and vision turns nothingness and emptiness into fullness. Vision turns nothingness, it doesn't, it's not even there, it doesn't, it doesn't exist, and emptiness, it, it, you can't even see it, there's, there's nothing there, it's empty into fullness. That's the book of Genesis, chapter 1, when the word of the Lord came, it came to the earth without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the earth, there was no fruit trees, there's nothing going on, it is just darkness, but when the word of the Lord came, all of a sudden nothingness and emptiness gave way to fullness, and fullness gave way to the word, and the word gave way to a future 
future, I want to say to you, gather all your empty buckets and all your nothingness and gather them before the Lord because this is the year where the Lord's going to turn your nothingness and your emptiness into his fullness and it's going to be a supernatural, amazing thing that's going to happen. Gather your faith and let's move forward. All right, I'm believing with you. Here's my definition, the power of we. is the secret of doing great things for God. Now, this is a great church that's going to do even greater things for God because the vision is going to push you into greater things. And the great things for God that are mind-boggling. Everyone say out loud with me, mind-boggling. Now, you would know if someone came to you and said, you can't believe what happened. It is mind-boggling. You would know what they mean. Is that right? You would know if someone said to you, this is uh, absolutely unbelievable. This is off the hook. Turn to your neighbor and say, off the hook. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, this is absolutely mind-boggling. How many of you would like to move away from the routine and away from the only the expected and away from the 2019 everything that happened into this new year that we're seeing right now? What's going to happen in the 2019 year did not happen in 2018, but this year and going into 2020, right as we move to the, I think, the most pivotal years in our nation, most pivotal years in our world, and the church's position, and if you will believe with me, there's going to be mind-boggling, wonderful thing that's going to happen in this church. Not just in the world, not over in China, not in Taiwan, not in Arizona, in Boise, Idaho. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be mind-boggling. They're going to have to talk about Boise, Idaho in other places. Have you heard about Boise, Idaho? Did you hear about that funny church called Capital? Did you see what they've been doing? It's an amazing thing over in potato country. God is moving in an amazing way. They're remodeling the downtown. New homes are being built. Universities are growing. Everybody wants to move there. Maybe we should all move to Idaho. No. <laughs> Mind-boggling. Beyond anything imagined. Take down that scripture, Isaiah 60, verse 22. 60, 22. Amazing scripture with what I'm saying. When the time is right, I, the Lord, will make it happen. Isaiah 60, 22. When the time is right, I, the Lord, will make it happen. Could I just have faith just to say it right out there so that you can grab it with your own ears and your own heart and your own spirit if you have faith to do so? Can I just say the time is right? Can I just say it out loud, the time is now? Can I just say it right now that the Lord is going to make this happen? He's already started, and he's already ahead of us. We're going to catch up with him. But the time is right. The Lord is working. Marvelous things are happening for your life, in your life, around your life, with your home, with your children, with your job, with your business, and in your church. Can you shout amen? amen. When the time is right, uh, the Lord will make it happen. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Ephesians 3, verse 20. God can do anything, you know. Sounds like a teenager. You know? God can do anything. Come on, say it. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. God can do anything. 
There you go. Come on out loud. God can do anything. Now turn to your neighbor and say, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know this, right? You know that God can do anything. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. Well, I can have some wild dreams. I can have some pretty wild thoughts. I can go out of the boat. I can, I can go out there with my thinking. What about you? I, I'm sure you can. What about if we say for this year that even our wildest dreams and the things that we could maybe really push out and kind of even imagine it's going to be reality, so even our best dreams are not our wildest dreams, and we're going to have to push into our wildest dreams. What would God do if you would dream so big that nobody could make it happen but God? That nothing could be fulfilled unless God. He does it not by pushing you around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah. In Jesus, glory down all the generations. Paul's getting carried away here. Glory through all the millennia. I would like to say glory through all the millennials. For you to grab a hold of this. Okay, your church is a special church. Four things about your church I want to say to you right now. Your church has its own divine destiny. A destiny that God has set that no other church in the city has. It's your destiny. That's why your church will have its own patterns and principles and atmospheres and, and vision. That's the way God works. You have a church that has a divine destiny. You have a church that has a unique personality. Your unique personality is brought together through years uh, and layers of teaching and preaching and ministries and gifts. You're a church of prayer. You're a church of compassion. You're a church of the word. You're a church that has a heart for the university. You're a church that has a heart for the young. You're a generational church. I'm looking out at a good, healthy generational church. We have people that are 100, people that are 80. 100 is Ken. We have people that are 100. We have people that are 80, 60, 50, 20, 10. We, you're a generational church, unique personality. You're a wonderful church. You have a unique place in this city. Third, you have your own spiritual distinctives. Your distinctives would have to do with your worship style, your praise style, your presence, your prophetic, your fivefold ministry, uh, your intercessory prayer, how, how you go about it. You have your own spiritual distinctives. And fourth, you have your own God-given vision. I, I haven't seen your written vision, but I know you haven't, it, and it's probably big, deep, and wide. And so you have your own God-given vision that God has for this church. Remember, anything this church does is going to affect you and your business, your job, your children, your children, children, and, and all the way down the line. Yeah, the longer you live in the church, the more you understand how much it affects you when you marry, when you bury everything. Everything about the church affects everything about your life. From the dedicating of your children to the youth ministry to the camps they go to, it only takes one camp, one altar call for your teenager to come home and say, God came into my life and God filled me with the Spirit and something happened at camp. I mean, how 
How much would you pay for that? How much would you beg for that? There are, there are people all over this nation that would love to have their children touched by a living God and have some kind of a purpose given them because there's a lot of broken people and broken homes and broken everything. But when you come into a church like this, there's healing for the broken and there's a message for every family and there's hope for every teenager and we believe every young adult. We believe there's purpose in the kingdom of God and when you get into a church like that, you're guaranteed to have generations that serve Jesus. Now that's a special thing. Making vision. Now, definition here. Making vision happen is taking the promises. You have your own promises. We had many promises given us by preachers and teachers and, and many things that came out of our own heart. We wrote down promises for our church. You have promises. And we had prophecies. I kept a prophecy log, a prophecy book. Why? Because I believe in the prophetic. I believe that, that prophecy is real. We prophesy in part, but we at least have the part. Uh, some people prophesy in nothing, so they have nothing. At least we have a part, and so we go after the part, and we believe in the prophecies like this morning. You don't have to lean into what I'm saying, but I'm prophesying to you with my preaching, and I'm saying to you, that day at the Lord, you're going to have a shift. You're going to shift, and it's going to be a shift into the supernatural, the miracles and the healing and the provisions and the financial release and the new businesses starting and new jobs are going to happen and promotions are going to take place and God's going to provide and you're going to have more campuses and more people and more families and more healing. It's going to be a shift into the supernatural realm of what God wants to do in this church for the future. It's not going to stay the same. It's going to shift. You are the church. So the prophecies that come to you and then the passion that rises with those prophecies that make them reality, tangible, and fulfilled. And that passion that's in the house is so important because when passion comes into the house, something happens as people gather together. It only takes a few, and that's the thing. There's enough people in this room to change the entire state of Idaho. It, it doesn't take uh, thousands of more people to agree. Uh, Jesus said, if I can get two or three of you to agree together, I will do mighty things in your midst. And so unity can find its lowest level and build from there. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 30, one can chase a thousand, two can put 10,000. And so there's, there's a multiplying of unity, a multiplying of what happens in a church where people have that spirit of working together and that spirit of fulfilling uh, the us and the we and all together we're going to see, we're going to believe, we're going to stretch, we're going to reach. You know, I pastored for a long time. So I understand that there are seasons of passion where some people... Early on, they can be very passionate, then they have a few kids, and they can get the edge knocked off just because life is busy, and getting to church is like packing for a camping trip, and so, you, you, you know, things are just a little different. You don't get here for prayer, maybe, and, and things happen, and then uh, finances are different, so your giving changes, and, and then if you, if you don't kind of adjust yourself to your seasons, the seasons can wear you down so you have no edge. The seasons can wear you down. You have no passion. I knew business guys when we were young, 
and, and I went in the ministry, they went in the business, they were so passionate, they were so into everything, they were serving the church with not just their money, but with their gift and their leadership, and everywhere I looked, they were helping build the kingdom of God, but as life went on, they faded out, they kept fading out, because they took more vacations, and I'm not against vacations, and, and they took more Sundays off, and they drifted over here, and they don't lead a small group anymore, they don't work the altars anymore, before you know it, they were sitting in the front, then they sit in the middle, then they sit in the back and then they're in the foyer then they listen to the service online and so they keep drifting 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 i'm calling all the drifters to drift back i'm calling all the people that have lost your edge i'm telling you shift back shift back to the house of god back to passion back to what you are you are important to this church and you're important to the kingdom of god god is not finished with you yet if you're 30 40 50 100 if you are an older person an empty nester you have more time i know you don't want to hear this but you have more time more money and more passion than you've ever had you could turn that to building the kingdom of god don't buy a motor home and drive around what a boring life. Rent one. Drive around and then get rid of it. We are not the motorhome church. We're not the Arizona retirement church. We're not the get to 60 and we're out of here. Goodbye church. We're not let the young people. I had these people tell me this all the time. Well, Pastor Frank, we gave, we sacrificed, and we built the domes, and we built this, and we paid for the college, and now let the next generation pay for it. You never get out of paying. You get to get involved with being the carrier of the future. You need to carry those young people and carry the next generation into what God wants to do. Do not let go. That saith Frank. All right, vision people are what? Special people. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm saying to you, you're the vision people. In this church right now, you're the vision people, and you're a special people. It's not, vision is not a pastor thing. If you think it's a pastor thing, we miss the whole thing. It's not just a leadership thing. We'll let the leaders carry. No, it's a people thing. We, we all carry the vision. We all pick up the load. We all have a burden. We all think about what we're doing here. Vision does not partner with laziness. Vision people need to have a courage and a determination and a passion to, to pick up on what God wants to do. Nehemiah 4.6. So we, everyone shout the word we. we. One more time. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together, Nehemiah 4, 6, to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. For the people had a mind to work. Do you remember when you had a mind to work? Do you remember when you had a mind to commit, when you had a passion to make things happen? Do you remember what it was like to carry the beginning loads of a church and a ministry? Do you remember the feelings and the juices that flow with real sacrifice? I'm calling you back to that and to the whole church up to that. We are the Nehemiah people who are going to build the wall, join the wall together because we have a mind to work. Other translations say they worked with all their heart. The people were enthusiastic in their work because the people had a heart for the vision. They worked very hard. Some people just let it happen. 
They'll just let you do it. Some people make it happen. And then some people just wonder what happened. Now, what we don't want to be is those people that don't know what happened. And they're looking around and saying, well, what, what happened? Everyone's talking about vision and talking, but I don't even know what, really what they're talking about. Do you know what they're talking about? And so you need to plug back in to not be the person who just wanders about vision, but you carry the vision of Capital Church. You are the carrier. Vision is the ability to see the God future for this church. What is it? Vision is as big as God. Vision is as big as God's nature. Vision is in the supernatural realm, and that's where we go. Ephesians 1.18, the eyes of your understanding, vision sees. The eyes of your understanding, Ephesians 1.18, are being enlightened that you may know what is the purpose and the riches of his glory. Vision is the seeing of the invisible and making it visible. You see the invisible and you make it visible. That's what vision does. You see the invisible, you believe the incredible, and you receive the impossible. Vision is in that mode all the time. You see the invisible, you believe the incredible, and you receive the impossible. When the church begins to do that, and they begin to see into the realms of the invisible, they begin to see the growth of their church and how to go about salvations and prodigals and reachings and generations, and, and they, they start working toward making vision happen. The same thing happens in the individual life. You start going up. You start seeing the invisible for your life. You start believing the incredible. You start receiving the impossible. You start breaking down walls. You start working with your business. You start doing other things on your job. You get more education. You start breaking out, pushing the boundary line. You start seeing things that you didn't see before because the spirit of faith comes upon you. I'm telling you right now, vision will change your life. And vision will change its church and already has. I'm just adding to it. Genesis 21, 19. Then God opened her eyes. This is Hagar out in the wilderness. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. The well was there all the time. Genesis 21 and verse 19. The well was there, but God opened her eyes. I'm telling you right now that God has some wells for you. There's some wells right now in your desert. Some of you are in a scorched desert time in your life, your job, your business, your marriage, your relationship, and your future. And some of you have that uh, idea about your life that it's, it's not good and it's, it's limited. And I don't even know if there's much more to do or much more to add. Or when I try disappointments, all that stuff. I just want to say to everybody in the desert, everybody that is going through any of those kind of things, there is a well of water for you in your desert. And that well of water is a well of provision and it's a well that's coming your way. You haven't seen it before, but this week your eyes are going to open and you're going to say, I can't believe that was there all the time. I can't believe that that well was there all the time. All of a sudden with your business, new accounts come and, and they were there all the time, but the well opens up and, and the well starts opening up in every area of our life. Can I hear a huge amen? How many of you would say, I need a few wells right now? Come on, I need a few wells right now. I need some surprise money. I need some healing in my relationships. 
I need some faith for my future. I need some wholeness in my heart. And you know what, Frank DiMazio? You're talking to me. I'm believing God for a well of healing and a well of help and a well of finance. And I believe it's coming my way. And I am lifting my eye to it. And I'm going to see the well that God has for me. I'm going to open my eyes. I'm going to see them. So you need to say to everybody around you all day long, I, I, I got wells coming. What's that? Wells. Welts? No. Wells. What kind of wells? Wells. 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 Water wells. Wells. You're digging wells at your house? No, I'm not digging. I have supernatural wells coming from God. And these wells are filled with good surprises and good relationships and, and more financial release and resources. And my business is going to double this year. Did you know that? You better stay real close to me because what's going to happen to me might just rub off on you. So you better stay real close because I might have more wells than I can use. And I'll give you a couple of my wells. Lift your faith and quit saying, nothing good happens to me, nothing's coming my way. I don't know what's going to happen. This year's probably like, I want to bind that spirit of negativism. I want to bind that spirit of doubt. And I want to put into you this morning that spirit of faith, Genesis 21, 19. Put it down, write it down, post it somewhere, and begin to pray it over you along with Isaiah 60, 22. When the time is right, which is now, I, the Lord, will make it happen. He's going to make it happen. Genesis 21, 19. He's bringing wells into my life. Yes, it's, it's happening right now, and I'm going to see them. They're going to open up. They're going to be filled with great things, and I am moving forward. This is the best year of my life. I just can't believe it. I just am going to tell everybody. I'm going to text. I'm going to email. I'm going to even do snail mail. I'm going to send out words to people to let them know this is the year of the blessings of the Lord, and I am in the middle of it. My preaching deserves a better response. Thank you. Connie was the only one who stood for me. I did. Thank you, Connie. You can have my honorariums. No, I take that back. You're not getting them. All right, vision. C.S. Lewis, screw tape letters. If you've never read them, you should, the screw tape letters. It's about the smart demon, old demon, Wormwood, is training young demons. That's what the book is. As Wormwood is doing these seminars with these young demon to teach them how to destroy people, destroy business, destroy church, destroy hope, destroy faith. That's what the book is about. Wormwood, in training the demons about destroy the church. So one demon says, well, the church seems to be pretty strong. He says, that's not the, 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 the church that you see is not the real church. The real church is very triumphant and strong and, and glorious and very fearful, but uh, thank God. He didn't say thank God, uh, but he said to the demon, uh, it, it's good that we're not dealing with that church. The church we're dealing with is weak and anemic, and it's not the real church, but they don't know better. And so he says to the demon, if you want to really ruin people and ruin the church, this is what he says, just make them focus on purely indifferent things. 
which are non-essential things, they will not see the vision God has for them. They will not see the vision God has for the church. They will be blinded by things that are non-essentials, non-issues, insignificant things, and they will live their whole life in insignificance. I would like to say to you that Wormwood will not have his way at Capital Church. That he will not get your eyes. He will not blind you. You will not live an insignificant life. You will not let the non-issues take over you. You will lift your eyes and understand you are not just a natural person. You are a supernatural person. You're not just living for 70, 80, 114 years. You know, I mean, they do it in the newspaper. This person lived so long, 120 years. You're going to live forever. You're going to live for millions of years. You're life in eternity is the life that will be the life. The life you have now is just a piddling of a little life. It's just a, it's a tiny dot in the universe. It's a speck, but you have a whole life in the invisible realm. I would like to suggest to you that everything you own, everything you work for, everything that you're buying, everything that you're styling will not go to the grave with you. The U-Haul doesn't get buried with you. I love Tracy's coat, but it's not going to the grave. <laughs> you give it all up, it's gone, just like that. It's gone. Everything you have is gone, just like that. Why let insignificance define such an awesome life that you should live? What is eternal? What is it? I'll tell you what's eternal. People. People. Not chairs, not buildings, not jobs, not bank accounts, not retirement, nothing. You know what's depressing because I'm at that age, but I'm not retiring. Don't you dare come up to me and say, how long have you been retired? I will lay hands on you right around here. <laughs> and I will pray a prayer for you to go quickly to heaven. No, I am not retiring. I am refiring. I'm not retiring. Why? Why would you think that in... Okay, never mind. I, I can, you know, out of my hurt and out of what people say to me, you know, are you retired? No! Say, are you mad? No! Why do you think I'm mad? I just asked you a question. Don't ask. Well, I thought it was a good question. Stupid Stupid question. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> people without a vision are people without a future. And people without a future always return to their past. And they actually make their past the prophecy for their future. I'm telling you right now, your past is not the prophecy for your future. And if you're only living what you can see from there into where you think you're going, you don't have the vision I'm talking about. The vision I'm talking about gives you a future that is so far beyond anything you've ever experienced. It's a future that lifts you up, gives you passion, it gives you momentum, it gives you excitement, it gives you faith. You start reaching for something you've never done before. If you've never led a small group, 
Come on, wake up, smell the coffee, lead a small group. I'll say that again. If you've never led a small group, wake up, smell the coffee, lead the small group. Fantastic, Frank, that is so good. Say, well, you know, I'm just not the small group type. Change! You know, I, I, I just kind of get awkward in front of people. Change! You know, I, I, I'm afraid they might ask me to pray. Learn! Well, you know, I don't know the Bible that well. Read it! I'm afraid they might ask me to do something. Do it! There is nothing you can do in witnessing and helping and discipling and leading a small group and helping people and healing people and going after the prodigal and doing something besides just coming and putting your hind in in a chair on Sunday mornings. There's more to the kingdom of God than that chair. And the kingdom of God is outside this room and there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people in this Boise area that want to know Jesus. They want to be healed. They want to find purpose. They want to have a life and you have everything they need. I'm telling you right now, this is the year to break out and become that person that will push that kingdom into their lives. When you win someone to Christ, which everybody in this room is going to do this year. Amen, Frank. Amen. Amen, Frank. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you finally disciple them a little bit. You don't hand them into a class. Don't win someone to Christ and then hand them to a class. You don't have a baby and hand it to the nurses. Okay, goodbye, baby. You, you, it's your baby. So when you win someone to Christ, get them into the water baptism tank. Where's your tank? Can you go get in it for a second? Yeah. Uh, can you turn the water on? No, never mind. Just sit there. I'm kidding. But when they do get water baptized, you'll be sitting there going, we baptize you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, use every name you can, don't miss any. And so we baptize you in the newness of life and circumcision of heart, whatever formula you, but you dunk that person, they come out of the water, all the church is going, hallelujah, that's right, you're going, that, that, that's my convert. Uh, I, I brought him in. That, yeah, me. No, it wasn't Chris Wilde, it was me. They're being dunked because of me. <laughs> that water baptism would be the greatest thing you ever watch in your life. When they come out of the tank, you'll be up there with the towel. Okay, I'm trying to get, get away. That's my convert. They want to be in a small group. People are going, no, they're in my group. Are you kidding me? Win your own people. This is mine. If you're a contractor, have a group of contractors in your small group. Win them to Christ. If you're a doctor, win the doctors. If you're a nurse, win the nurse. If you're a teacher, win the teachers. If you're a young couple with kids, find young couple with kids. They're everywhere. 
Superior College to go out. I think within your demographics, there's room for you to preach Jesus. And it will work if you'll break out. Okay, now I'm confused again. So the letters just turn red. That can't be redemption. What is that? Okay, so they're giving me where I should be finished, but the service is out at 1230. Yeah, there, there's a confession right there. And I'm going to believe that is the rule and the standard for me. Ken just said, I never look at the clock. Now, I believe that's a prophetic word coming to me. I go all over the world, and uh, boy, there's all kinds of clocks, and count down, count up, count sideways, count this way, that way, and, and one church had an uh, uh, alarm clock in the pulpit. So when, when your time was up, it would what is that? What? You're going to put an alarm clock on a preacher? I predict that this church is Ichabod. <laughs> the glory has departed. Okay, not here, not here. This is the glory church. People, vision people, everyone say out loud, I'm a vision person. Come on, say out loud to me, I'm getting this. You're not, you're not talking to strangers, Frank. No, you don't need to repeat that. But you're getting it. Second thing, vision people fulfill the vision. How? Vision people have moved from spectator to participator to owner. Every pastor would love to have that. Few pastors get it. Unfortunately, in America especially. America is the church of the spectator. And I've been to some of the largest, wonderful churches with the best platforms, best lighting, best sound system, the best band, the best everything. You would think you were in church heaven only to find out it's a church filled with spectators. They're not participating in anything. The pastor telling me, I can't get them to do this. They won't give. They won't join a small group. Uh, you know, nobody. Well, uh, Hello, what do you preach to them? Only what they want to hear, and the service can only be this long, and it has to have this kind of crackers in the nursery. And so everything is kind of geared toward consumerism. So if the service isn't perfect for you, it's like, wow, that was not such a great service, was it? Well, what'd you do to make it better? Hello. Did you pray? Did you intercede? Did you serve? Or did you just sit there in a spectator criticism seat? Like when I watch basketball or football, I coach. Now, they get paid $100 million a year to be smart, and they are. I'm not smart. I don't get paid for doing this. I, I yell at the refs. I'm not two feet from the foul. I'm in a TV watching an angle, and I'm, you know, what's wrong with you? You are the worst call ever, ever. What am I? I'm a spectator, and spectators can whine and criticize and mouth off because they're not in the game. They're not in the game. Now, if you're a spectator, don't tell anybody. Just move. 
to participator, which means I'm going to take part. I'm going to share my life. I'm going to give. And, and that's great. I mean, that's, that's a step in the right direction. And then you become an owner. A person who owns something has the legal, rightful title to something, like a property or whatever. They treat it so differently. We had properties for a while. The worst decision I ever made, uh, because I don't do anything with properties or everything. Anyway, we had properties before the great falling away, and, and we had to keep it long enough so that the economy would come back, and you know, then we could sell it. We didn't make any money. You know, so when people say, why'd you do it? I say, Sharon's idea. And so, it wasn't. But renters, renters would come in, and they would poke holes in the wall. The seek would uh, leak, but they wouldn't even turn the, the little uh, bolt at the bottom to turn off the water, do anything. They would just let it, uh, if the trash didn't get picked up, it would just spill, and the garage, and, and the lawn, and the fence breaks, and the light bulb goes out. And what are they? They're renters. All they do is they want the, what they want from that building, and then they whine to you, they criticize you, and they demand everything from you. Come over and fix the fact. Fix it yourself. I pay rent here. Well, I'm not coming over to fix the fence. I'll be there. Then I, I'm, I don't even like renting here. Well, then move. I'm not going to move. I wish you would move. Uh, are you trying to evict me? No, I can't evict you. But I, if I could, I would. Well, you can't. And, and so renters do not care about what you own. And sometimes people are renters in the church where they don't really carry the ownership of, but they love to whine, gripe, criticize, and don't lift a finger to better it. If you're going to write me a letter, the first thing I'm going to say to you, now don't, don't throw me under the bus too far. Do you tithe? No, I don't tithe. I don't even like you. I don't like you either. <laughs> you don't have a right to criticize me if you don't tithe. Why? You have nothing in this house. No heart, no treasure, no money, nothing. I put everything. I sold my house to give to this house. I served this house 24-7. I've given my children to this house. Sacrificed them on the altar. No, not really. And so <laughs> I gave. So if you're going to have an opinion... Make sure it's an ownership opinion. Amen. So good. This is so good. You can make a difference. Here's an owner. Okay, now the clock is really there. <laughs> Nehemiah 1. How, how many are getting something out of this? How, how many still like me? Good. Good, thank you. I'm, I'm just... I'm preaching directly from Tracy's notes. Just write down. <laughs> Not really. Here's an owner. Nehemiah 1, verse 3. Listen to an owner. This is an owner. Nehemiah 1, 3, 4. This is an owner. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province, remember they had gone from Babylon back to Jerusalem, are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are burned with fire. And this is Nehemiah, the cupbearer, listening to the report. And this is an owner. 
So it was. When I heard these words, I said to them, why are you talking to me? Go fix it yourself. Isn't that what it says there? No, don't shake your head. Yes. This is what he said. This is an owner. When I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. And I mourned for many days. And then I fasted and I prayed. And then I went to the king and said, send me. That's an owner. An owner hears everything, and he doesn't push it off to someone else. He doesn't blame shift. He simply takes it to heart. He weeps. He mourns. He fasts, and he prays, and he acts. He fixes it. Make a difference. A young man watching, walking down the beach, and an older geezer who lived on the beach his whole life was walking toward the young man. And the Ocean tide had brought up all these starfish and would leave literally hundreds of them on the beach. And then the tide would go out and these starfish would die. A young man walking down the beach was throwing starfish back into the water. But there's hundreds, maybe thousands of them. So the old man watching him finally gets to the young guy and says, uh, Hey, what you doing? He says, Um, Saving starfish. The old man says, hundreds of them, kid. You can't save hundreds of them. They're, they're all over. And as he was talking, the old man, he reached down, picked up one of the starfish. He talked to the old man, threw the starfish into the ocean. He said to the old man, makes the difference for this one. Makes the difference for this one. You can't do everything, but it makes a difference for this one. You can't heal every broken marriage, but you can one. You can't save every person, which is huge in Portland. I don't know how it is here with addiction, but you can do one. You can't feed all the poor, but you can throw one starfish back in the water. Don't get so hard-hearted that you look at the culture, look at the people, look at everything going on, and you just don't do anything because everybody's so messed up. Pick up a starfish. Make a difference with one. Okay. I am speaking again and again and again and again. Today. Five o'clock, I speak downtown. You're invited. I'll try to get to point three. <laughs> at seven o'clock, I'm speaking at the revival. You're invited if you'd like to come and see what's going to happen there. Right now, I'm going to pray for you. Are you ready to pick up a starfish? Are you ready to shift? Come on, stand to your feet.